So Eric asked me a couple weeks ago um, if I would uh, be willing to come and teach tonight. He is on vacation spending some time with family. Um, so it's a wonderful opportunity to come before you guys tonight and um, really share, share my heart. He told me, he gave me the hardest assignment. He said, David, you can teach whatever God has put on your heart. Do you know how many verses are in the, in the Bible and how many good ones there are? All of them. <laughs> so, so that's so hard. So I was thinking about it, praying about it, asking God, what, what do you want me to share? So I prayed some more, I thought about it some more, and, and this is the one thing that came up over and over and over again. And this is something that really is um, valuable to me because it's a huge aspect of my life. So I want to share uh, part of my life with you this evening. But, but before we do, let's pray. Father God, we ask that your spirit would just be in this place tonight. And Lord, it wouldn't be anything that the worship team does. It wouldn't be anything that I say. Lord, it wouldn't be, Lord, the, the communion elements, but it would be your spirit that teaches. Lord, that, that instructs our hearts. Because that and that alone brings change. It brings transformation. So, Father, would you be present in this place tonight? Lord, teach us what we need. Break the walls in our hearts that need, need, need to be broken. Lord, we love you, and we give this time to you and to you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was 10, my family moved down to southeastern Kentucky. Now, Kentucky is a beautiful state, but we didn't move to the beautiful area we moved to southeastern K Kentucky. And there's a, there's a beauty within southeastern Kentucky um, that not many people know about because no one goes there. Um, so, so that was a difficult change for me in my life, um, and particularly because of the rules and, the re and, and regulations that, that Christians and churches placed upon youth. So I grew up in several churches and going to youth groups that, that the message was, okay, to be a Christian you need to be at Sunday school. You need to be at Sunday morning church. You need to come to Sunday evening church. And then if you're really good, you come to Wednesday night church or youth group as well. And then on top of that, if you were a really good Christian, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't do drugs, you didn't dance. I was okay with that because I can't dance. Um, but there were lists of rules that I had to cover and that I had to abide by in order to be considered a good Christian or a trustworthy Christian. And so many of my, of my elders that I, I would I, I do life with would say, okay, like, are you doing this? Are you not doing this? And, and it became like a checklist that I had to f cross out. That's what I grew up with. That was church for me. So I grew up with this question in my mind, okay, God, is this what it means to be a Christian? Is this what it means? I come to church whenever the doors are open. But is that enough? Is that what, what you want? And, Lord, and, and praise the Lord, my parents knew, knew the Lord and they, and they taught me about Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and the fact that I was a sinner. So I got truth from my parents. But what I was being fed from the church and from my, my elders within the mission that my parents worked at and within churches was it's about doing the right thing. And all along, there was a yearning in my heart. I was homeschooled, so I didn't have any friends. Um, so, so all along, um, I desired for someone to come alongside of me, to, to, 
to, to teach me about God and his word and, and to do life with me. But one of my youth pastors would avoid me. And actually, he was my only youth pastor. Um, we were only at that church for a year. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but, but I yearned for someone to do life with, for someone to instruct me, to mentor me, to, to disciple me. But I didn't know what discipleship was. So my question that I want to pose to you tonight is what is Christianity? What is Christianity? Is it a, a, a list of rules? Is it, is it being here at church that makes you a good Christian, a good believer? So let's dive into that tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to go over the first 12 verses. And as you're turning, let me just give you some of the background of this story. So we know from, from Acts chapter 16 and 17 that, that, that Paul and Silas were on their second missionary journey. It took place about 49 to 52 AD. And it was during this time that, that in Acts chapter 16 we see that Paul and Silas were terribly persecuted in Philippi. They were, they, they were beaten, they were thrown in prison unjustly. And then after all that, after the whole ordeal and God showed up in a, in a big way, they were asked to leave. So where did, did they go? Well, they journeyed about 100 miles west to a large city called Thessalonica. It was in this city of over 200,000 people that, that Paul and Silas did what was customary. They entered the synagogue and then they began teaching and preaching Jesus Christ to Jews. Now you'd think that that would, that, that would be a message that, that people would embrace, that would, they would rejoice over because the Messiah had come. The one who was prophesied about was, had come and he was real. And not only was he real, but he had died for their sins and given them an opportunity for new life. Well, praise the Lord, people came to know the gospel and understand it. The majority of them were, were Gentiles, Greeks. Men and women, they accepted Paul and Silas' message. And only a few Jews, only a few. But what happened was that as a result of Paul and Silas' message was that, was that the Jewish community rose up in protest against them. And this wasn't just like your, your picketing, uh, f- picket fence l- 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 like protesters. This was a lot more than that. This was a, a violent mob that wanted nothing more than to get rid of Paul and Silas, whether it was by death or, or, or by just expelling them from the, the city. Because according to them, they were preaching a, a different ruler other than, other than the Roman emperor. And so it was in this that after three weeks of being in Thessalonica, that Paul and Silas were asked, were asked to leave by the believers who had just come to know Christ. Three weeks. They had been in Thessalonica around three weeks, and a church had formed during that time. And the believers there were concerned for their safety and asked them to leave. So now fast forward a couple months. Paul is in the city of Corinth, and he's writing a letter, his first letter to to this church. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why he's writing. It's because even though there was a short time that he was present with them, he desires them for them to grow. And this is the second chapter of this message, of this, le- of this letter. Let's look at verse one. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. 
Now, it's pretty obvious. We can look at this verse and realize, okay, that it definitely wasn't in vain because, because of the result. I mean, after three weeks of being in this city, a large number of, of Greeks and, and, and several Jews had come to know Christ as their Savior. That seems pretty successful to me, right? I think we should do some three-week mission trips, you know. Uh, maybe may, maybe they'd, they'd be as successful. But here's the thing. Is it wasn't just the numbers that made it not in vain. Right, so I grew up in southeastern Kentucky, and everything was about numbers down there. And then, now, I shouldn't say not everything, but the majority of what people wanted to know was how many people got saved. And so we'd have VBS, Vacation Bible School, and, we, and we'd go on mission trips, and, and the first thing that, that we had to report was, oh, five people got saved. Or, or 10 people got saved, and then everything else was just like, kind of like, because what mattered was salvations. But I think what Paul is saying here in verse 1 is that it's not just an issue of salvations. It was about salvation on top of that. It was spiritual growth. That's what Paul was concerned about. Because the church that he was only able to be there for three weeks has grown and has excelled, not because of a leader, but, but because, of, because of who Christ was in their lives. And so we see that it was not in vain. And Paul rejoices in that because the growth was in light of the circumstance, in light of the persecution that was going on in this, in this city. Even though they, the, the Thessalonians got, had gotten rid of Paul and Silas, doesn't mean that there wasn't persecution anymore. There was a lot. And yet they excelled even in the midst of, of persecution. But there's a reason for the success, and it wasn't in them themselves, in how great they were or how resilient they were to the persecution. It was, it was in someone much greater. Let's look at verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Here, Paul is talking about uh, he, he's, he's, reminding, he's reminding the believers in Thessalonica, remember that we came under, uh, under persecuted circumstances, and yet God was still good. God was still faithful. And it was because of God's faithfulness that they remained firm in their faith. And as a, a result, they were bold to share the gospel of God that had meant so much to, to, to them. You see, the issue that Paul, the, the, the heart of Paul and Silas during this period of time wasn't just to communicate, to evangelize to the lost. It was more than that. It was to disciple the people of Thessalonica, to encourage spiritual growth in their lives. And one reason why it was not in vain was because of, of discipleship. They, they, they placed their faith in a foundation other than themselves and other than their, their circumstances. They placed it in the Lord. And here's the, here's the thing. When it comes to discipleship, and this is what, what, what God has taught me so much in my life, it's not based upon a circumstance. Because there's so many trials and challenges that arise in our lives that it's so easy to, when, when, when we're met by them, to step back and be like, oh, God, I'm, I'm just not feeling it today. I'll get back to you tomorrow after I have my, my, my pity party and just kind of relax and do things my own way to, today. You see, for Paul, it wasn't about, about his circumstances because his circumstances were not always positive. 
He was faced often with persecution, with trials, with, with rejection for, from people. And yet he continued on, not because who Paul was, but because who he placed his faith in. Amen. And this is a foundational aspect of, of di- discipleship. In discipleship, we pursue others and we pursue spiritual growth not because of our circumstance, not because of our problems, but because of who our Lord is. And this is what, what, what he says. As we, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel in much conflict. You see, oftentimes, as I've heard over the years, is that when I encourage people to pursue discipleship, this is where it stops. They come to know the Lord and they have a relationship with God and people, people are, are, are passionate about coming and hearing messages and worshiping God. And then when they're met with a challenge to invest in others, this is where it stops because of fear. Because they don't have anything to offer or they feel like they don't have anything to offer. But here's the truth. We do. We have so much to offer. But we oftentimes stop just short of discipleship because we don't want to let people in and see the, see the ugly aspects of our heart. Or we're fearful that, that, that they're going to re- reject us. But I think that happens because we're not placing our faith in who Jesus Christ is. And so it stops. But I think for us, this is really applicable because we need to examine our lives and see if we're being rocked by circumstances in our lives and if we're being pushed off our foundation of Christ because of, of what's happening, that we really need to examine our hearts and, and, and bring it to the Lord and say, God, hey, I'm not, I'm not trusting you on a daily basis. Help me. Please help me. Teach me how to, how to fully put my trust in you. And so we see evangelism is essential in discipleship. Next is, 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 is our faith. Placing our faith not in circumstances, but in the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God. And thirdly, we see, we see that what's, an, what's vital to discipleship is, is character. It's character. See, Paul here outlines several things of what discipleship really looks like on a daily basis. See, the purpose he's writing is not to say, hey, hey, I, I want you to, to build a church and to have a message, a sermon once a week or twice a week and, and then have a place to gather and worship. It's much more than just a church. Christianity is much more than just a church. It's about pursuing the Lord together as believers in relationship. And the third aspect of this is character. And Paul outlines in verses three through, through six the importance of a godly character in the pursuit of discipleship. Let's look at verse uh, verse three. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Verse four, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our our heart. The first thing that Paul notices and and he points out is, is that the message was not about them. It wasn't about, about adding little elements to the gospel so that it made them look better. It wasn't about taking out anything so that it sounded better and that the audience would accept it with greater enthusiasm. It wasn't about that. You see, see the aspect here about character is that, is that Paul realized that it wasn't about pleasing men. 
It wasn't about, about being a people pleaser in, in his message, but rather what was more important was pleasing God. The God who had entrusted them with this message, the power of this, of this message. Now, this is really difficult for, for some people. I, I, I'm the oldest, and so I grew up being like, okay, yes, Mom, yes, I'll, I'll do that, because I wanted to please her. And so, so, so one of my challenges in life is, is, is to not be a, a people pleaser, because I have to put the Lord before, be, before people. But, but it's difficult, because I want to make everyone happy. I, I, I want people to like me, to, to, to love me, and so it's often difficult to share truth. But what's far greater, a far greater significance is the fact that God comes first. And Paul is saying that, is that saying that, 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 that as a teacher, as being up front in front of people, his priority is not how people like him or how they take him or if his messages are really, are, are really gentle. See, the thing about the gospel of God is that it's difficult, it's tough for one reason, because it deals with sin of which all of us have. And, this is, and this, is, this is what's difficult about being a, a teacher, being a pastor, is that we have to get our hands dirty. This is what's difficult about being a, a disciple maker, is that we need to get our hands dirty and teach them, no, to not be comfortable in their sin, but to pursue godliness and righteousness in the Lord. I know um, th- there was a young man that I used to disciple in southeastern Kentucky when I, I was a, a youth pastor down there. Um, and, and this man was very charismatic. Uh, he, was, he, was, he, was the, he was the highlight of the crowd. If, if, if there was someone talking in a group of people, this, it was this man. <laughs> I loved him. He, he, he was a lot of fun. And his, one of his main passions, one of his main goals was to be a youth pastor and to be a teacher up in front of a youth group. But the problem was is that he desired the limelight, the spotlight, more than he did the, the responsibility. He loved having the authority of being a teacher without any of the responsibility because he wanted to make people laugh. He wanted to make his, his youth laugh and not really deal with, with the hard issues, the sin issues within life. See, this is difficult because Oftentimes, as humans, we, we judge people by their exterior or, or how, how well they speak and not really by the, the heart content. That's what God desires mainly. It's is, is not, is not that, that we're the best speakers or, or, or the best lookers or, or anything else like that. What he cares about is our hearts. And this is what Paul is addressing, character, character. Discipleship is about character in so, much, in so many ways. And so we see in verses 5 and 6, he goes on talking about character, his character and Silas's character. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men either, either from you or from others, when we might have made de- demands as apostles in Christ. The truth that Paul is stating here is that it wasn't about them. It wasn't about, about their message being, be, being easy to listen to. It wasn't about them receiving the glory for, for their position. It wasn't about that. What really mattered to Paul, and more than that to the Lord, was the message. The message being true and right. 
So, so we see here is that in verse 6 it says, nor did we seek glory from men. Being a person up front and, and, and of authority is a difficult responsibility. Not taken, should not be taken lightly. And Eric does a wonderful job leading this church. But he has to examine his heart to make sure that there's no selfish ambition of, of what he's saying or what he's teaching. Because before God, we are held accountable for our own hearts before the Lord. And he is as well. But here's the main issue. The main thing that I want to point to as far as character goes. As a leader, Paul's responsibility was not to be the person in the limelight. His responsibility was to build up other leaders. Before Kent Nolly left, um, he and his family went to Uganda like three years ago. I was riding in his car with him down I-25, and I don't, know, I don't remember what brought up this conversation, but he, he, he looked at me and said, David, what, what, is, what is the sign of an effective ministry? And I was like, well, I guess, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of signs. He's like, well, I want you to think about this one thing. He said, the sign of an effective ministry is when the leader, or maybe let, let's say the head pastor, is not here and no one notices. And I thought about that. I was like, man, that's so true. Because, because oftentimes if we celebrate, if we look toward one individual, that person is going to let us down, to fail. Because we're human, we sin. And if if a successful ministry is one in which it points to Christ or raises up other leaders so it's not, it's not all based upon one person, that is what glorifies God. That's what discipleship is all about. It's not being the person who has to be in charge of everything. Delegating responsibility, pursuing others, building them up so that they in turn can lead themselves. Kent told me this and, and I've never forgotten it. And it's really become a mantra, a, 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 a main priority within 719, the young adult ministry. It's that my heart is to build up leaders in case something happens to me. God forbid, I don't know. But you see, it wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about Silas, what they desired, or their glory. It was about God's glory. And we see that demonstrated in their character. Let's go on, because in verses 7 and 8, we switch from character to investment. In in verse 7, Paul writes, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. What I really want want to point out in this this verse here is is the fact that that Paul viewed the people, the, the new believers in his church as valuable. They had value upon them. Even though they were recent believers, young believers in the Lord, Paul valued them. Not for what they can, could contribute right away, but for what God saw in them. You know, it's interesting. This illustration that Paul gives of a nursing mother and her infant. My youngest son is two months old. And so, so, so I see this on a daily basis. And so what's fascinating is that, is that my wife's relationship with my youngest son, Sawyer, is, is, is it's, it's difficult for me to understand. I, it's, I cannot have that relationship w- with my son. 
What I do is I change dirty diapers. I, I console him when he's crying. And, and, and like, if he sleeps, great. If not, then, then I give him to my wife, you know? Um, but, but here's the thing, is that, is that my wife, when she's sleep-deprived, will get up at 2 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning and go to our son and, and console him, nurse him, give him what he needs. Even though she is, is stressed out and, and tired and, and, and lacking sanity, like she cares for our son. I do not understand that as a man. But what I can tell you, it's beautiful. Now, if I were to ask my wife at 2, two, at two a.m. for something, uh, that's another story. But, <laughs> but, but let's not go there, okay? Um, but between my son, our son, and my wife, the relationship there is beautiful. Because in the world's eyes, a two-month-old has very little value. But yet in my wife's eyes, he is precious. He is valuable. He's a treasure. And Paul is using this illustration in this passage to say, hey, believers in Thessalonica, you are valuable in God's eyes. And I will love you, and I will invest my life into you because I see the value. And so he invests his life. And, and in verse 8, we see being so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. And so we see this relationship, this tender relationship between Paul and Silas and, and, and this church. And we see what kind of impact and, and, and application um, was, was demonstrated by Paul and Silas. Two things that they were very passionate about pursuing in this relationship. First and foremost, being imparting the word of God. Now this is vital. This, this, is, this is why we come to church, because we want to know more about God. We want to have a deeper relationship with, with him. And so when Eric or, or one of the pastors opens up the word of God, we, we go verse by verse trying to, to understand the heart of God, to grow in our walk, our relationship with him. And this is what Paul and Silas did. Whether it was in the synagogue or, or within houses, whether it was in the marketplace, he and, and Silas, first and foremost, desired to impart the gospel to, to the people. Because it's what they founded their, their life upon. It's what they were passionate about. And it's the foundation by which we start to build our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel. But if it's only the gospel, then we lose something significant. Because people can stand up and talk about Jesus Christ all day long and in worship raise their hand and, 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 and say praise the Lord and all this, but if they don't live out their faith, then the gospel's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. You see, in discipleship, you have to have both. You have to understand and know the word of God and, and be able to, to communicate it. But then if you're not living it out, then, then it's worthless. It's rubbish. And that's why Paul steps back and he says, not only the gospel of God, but we desire to impart our own lives as well. Now, this is what's fascinating is that, is that for three weeks, Paul and Silas lived day by day with the Thessalonian believers. They talked about God as they worked. They desired to, to teach them what, what Jesus Christ desired of them, but they lived it out. 
And as they lived it out, the people began to grow and see that it wasn't just lip service to God, but it was actually actions that demonstrated a genuine faith in the Lord. They shared their lives. It has been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Paul gave both, Paul and Silas gave both of this, of these to, to the church. They cared. They shared what they knew. And it took root within the lives of the believers in this church. You see, discipleship is action. It's a lifestyle. Not just when we come to church, not just when we pray before our meals or, or before bed. It's, it's how we represent Jesus Christ on a daily basis, at work, at, in our homes, in, in school, classes. It's a, day, it, it's a lifestyle. And if you can do that, then I, let me tell you, you're, you're a candidate to be a, a disciple maker. So we see that discipleship is, is investment. It, it, it's action. It's a lifestyle. But, but Paul goes on in verses 9 through, through 11, and he talks about how, how this investment is, is actually a lifestyle because they're setting an example for the believers. They're setting an example on a daily basis, one in which they can understand and they, and they can live out. I can read books all day long or instruction manuals all day long, and they mean nothing to me. But if I watch someone uh, put together a bookcase or, 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 or a shelving unit or something, like I learn from that. I learn by example. Don't tell me how to do it. Show me, please. And this is what discipleship is. It, it, it's, it's communicating the word of God, what God's word says, and instruction. instruction. It's watching someone learn how to, do, watching someone doing it, living out a life for Christ by, by example. And so we see in verse 9, it says, it says For you remember, brethren, our, to- our labor and toil for laboring, laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Paul and Silas were concerned about not being a burden on this church. And so what they did is that they worked with their hands night and day so that they would not be a financial burden to any believer. And so what's interesting is, is, that, is, that, is that in setting an example, it was about work, about how believers should not be lazy, how we should be hard workers, we should be ethical in how we work. In fact, in the next letter that Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Pretty straightforward, right? They set this example on a daily basis because they worked alongside other believers. So as not to be a burden. And we see this premise within Proverbs frequently on how we ought as believers to be hard workers. We should avoid laziness at all costs because what we do in work and how we work is ultimately an example by which the hope in which you live. 1 Corinthians 10.30 says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So when you're at work, let's, let's work for God's glory to be a light and an ambassador for, for Christ, even in difficult work situations. So Paul sets the example 
in the work realm for this church. Verse 10 says, you are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among you who believe. For you, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own child. You know, it's impressive because Paul, what he's doing is he's stating to the Thessalonian believers to appeal to examine his life as, as an example Paul didn't have to say, please don't look at my life. Look to Jesus as your example. See, Paul wanted people to look to Jesus, yes, but he wanted to give his life as an example for these people because he loved them. Paul's life and his message were consistent in various aspects. You see, we even see in, in the previous chapter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look with me in verse 6 of the very first chapter. He calls them to, to imitate him. He says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He says, You became followers of us, imitating us, because the example that they set was one that honored the Lord. But what I want you to see is the end of verse 11. Is that he uses another example of a father and his son. Every night, I, I, I try to put my, my two boys to bed. My oldest one is almost two years old. And every single night, I, I, I sit down in the rocking chair and we sing songs about Jesus. And then every night before I put him down, I, I, I pray for him that, that, that he would honor the Lord, that he would be obedient to the Lord, and that his sin would always be found out as he grows. Because I want to be an, an exhorter, an encourager for my sons, an example for them to follow on a daily basis. And Paul is saying the same thing. I want you to know the Lord. I want you to have a relationship with him, to be obedient to him on a daily basis, and you can look to me in the example that I set to do so. And there's one reason, because his desire for them is found in verse 12. Verse 12, it says this, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The reason why Paul and Silas invested their life, shared with them the gospel, Set, setting an example for them was because their desire was to see them walk worthy of God's calling on a daily basis. It wasn't just once in a while. It's that they'd stay consistent with the Lord to walk worthy. You see, that's what discipleship is. Discipleship, there's a goal in mind. Seeing other people come to a, a relationship, a knowledge of Jesus Christ pursuing them, investing in them so that you see spiritual growth all along the way. And not letting them go, but, but encourage them. To exhort them. To urge them to continue a life worthy of God's calling. You see, in the Great Commission, Jesus Christ did not say, hey, go into all the nations and build churches. He didn't say that. He didn't say, go into all nations and evangelize. He said, go into all nations and make disciples. You see, in this command, in this commission that Jesus Christ has given us, discipleship is evangelism. It's sharing 
the news of who Jesus Christ is with people who don't understand. But it's more than just evangelism. It's building a foundation of faith upon which they can build their lives and their hope in Jesus Christ. Referring them to the gospel and saying, hey, this is who my Savior is. Know him. Understand him. Love him. It's building character on a daily basis to be more like Christ and not care about what the world says about, about you. To not seek our own glory or, or, or pride, but to care about what God sees in you and what he's doing in your life. It's about loving and investing our lives into other people. And lastly, it's about setting an example for others to follow. See, God has put this discipleship on my heart ever since, ever since college. Because I was a sophomore in college when I understood what Christianity was all about. And it wasn't because of any of my classes at Moody Bible Institute. It was because of one person. His name was Jeremy Quigley. And he started pursuing me. If he saw me walking in a parking lot, he'd run up behind me and just start walking like it was normal like a stalker. It was really awkward at first. But after weeks went by and I saw his interest in my life, I began to be, I don't know, to, to, to wonder what's going on. Because remember how I told you that in high school I desired to have someone walk alongside of me, to encourage me, to disciple me, but I didn't know what it looked like. Well, Jeremy was doing just that in my life. And even though I had Bible classes for 18 hours a week and, and studying, studying God's word and writing papers that were 20, 30 pages long, what I learned most from Moody was that Christianity is about discipleship. And my mentor, Jeremy, quickly pursued me, not in the big things, but in the little things. He would love me and accept me no matter what I had done when I had confessed my sin to him, sin, uh, that things that were going on in my life and struggles, he'd, he'd pray for me and he'd keep me accountable. He'd encourage me and send, send Bible, Bible verses via text to me on a daily basis. He'd show up randomly in my dorm room and just be like, hey, I brought lunch. What college kid doesn't love lunch? Free lunch. He'd invite me over to his house and be, be hospitable, making, having us make di- dinner together, and opening God's word together and loving on me, encouraging me for, from God's word. Didn't, it didn't take moving mountains and, and, and taking me on long backpacking trips. It was little, little, little things. It was little things that really mattered most. And it was from his example that I understood what Paul was saying in this passage. It's not about church. It's not about being here every time the doors are open. It's about discipleship. Allowing God to use you on a daily basis to invest into other people's lives because what I see right here, I see so much value. You have so much to offer youth, kids, young, young adults. But the thing is that often stands in our way is, is fear. Well, let me tell you what high schoolers, junior hires and young adults go through. There's so much fear in their lives because they don't know what to do with their life. They don't know who to marry. They don't know what to do on a daily basis because they're scared. Because the world around them tells them that you stink. 
you're not worth anything. We need people who make disciples on a daily basis, who love younger people. Because I promise you, if you take that step of faith, God will use you in a mighty way. Christianity is suffering because people won't step up to the call to make disciples. We're comfortable in our seats. We're comfortable worshiping God, opening his word and studying. But when it comes to investing our lives into other other people, that's where we step back and say, oh, I can't do that, God. I'll pray about it. And And then I'll tell you no. The need is great. It is. If you have high schoolers, you know. If you have young adults, you know. If you have junior hires, you know. But the problem is, is that even though Jesus Christ said, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, are few. Pray that God brings laborers into the harvest. The problem is that sometimes we're not willing to take that step forward and to make that investment in, in people's lives. God's called us to so much more so much more. And there's children in that room, in that room, who need you. Because you have so much to offer them, if you're willing. Pretty soon we are going to take communion together. I want you to understand that discipleship starts, the very foundation of, of its purpose, it starts in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He pursued his Disciples, he loved them, he taught them, he did life with them, he helped them in their failures because he loved them. Now, we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look to him, we have to understand that he, what he did, what he did because he loved us. So, as the worship team comes out, as we pray, I want you to examine your hearts. I want you to ask God, hey, God, am I doing what you've called me to, to do? Do I love you enough to be bold in making disciples? Examine your hearts. And when, when you're ready, come down and, and, and take, take the bread and take the cup and celebrate what Christ has done for you because he's allowed you to be disciples of him. I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to also be a disciple like Christ has done to you in your life? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we ask that that you bless this final time that we have together. Lord, that we would consecrate our hearts and our minds to you. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that you have made on the cross for us. God, we are not worthy of that yet you did it because you loved us. Lord, because you saw value in us. So Lord, I pray tonight that, that, that your spirit would just be speaking to people. Lord, that we would understand who we are in you, place our faith in who you are on a daily basis. Lord, we would answer the call that you have given to all of us to make disciples. Father, thank you for being our example. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word and how you have made an impact in our lives. Lord, may we not keep that to ourselves. 
but to pass it on. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.